Good morning. You have to put up with me twice in a row, so I apologize for that ahead of time. Um, first, important announcement, it's not Christmas yet. No, we're still in Advent. Now, I know over the weekend Christmas exploded in our sanctuary because I get, you just can't stop Christmas. Um, but uh, it was a really nice day yesterday. We had a whole bunch of people come together to do this. Four teens were here, and then a lot of people who were not teens were also here. But uh, it was really fun, really nice. Uh, another announcement uh, on December the 10th, which is a, a Saturday. Uh, it's a week away. We, the teens are having their Fuse holiday auction. There's a flyer like this on your way out. Grab one, two, three, however many you want. Give to friends and family. There's a lot of really cool uh, like sports memorabilia items and other items, and you'll want to come uh, and check that out. Invite people. The more, the better. Uh, because we're trying to raise a lot of money to go to NYC. And if you don't know what NYC is, ask Chris, and he can tell you all about it. Uh, and if you want to know more about uh, the auction, or if you have questions about that, ask his lovely wife, Kelly, and she can tell you a whole lot about that. She's been doing a lot of work putting that together for us, and we are very, very appreciative. All right, let's, uh, let's just begin by reading out of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you want to stand with me as we read God's Word, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12 together. In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea in the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up, there it is, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and, even every, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I, I really like the, this passage about John the Baptist. It's uh, recorded in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have a very similar accounting of this, and I just really like it. Uh, every time I, I read through it, or more specifically, whenever I am to preach on it, and I spend a lot of time just kind of with the passage, there's always something kind of stirred up inside of me. 
uh, because it's kind of a, a personally important passage for me. Uh, and and, it, and it, I start to think of the love and the grace and the ridiculousness of God. Uh, and, and it takes me back to like a 15, 16-year-old version of me sitting in the back row of a tiny church in Presque Valley, Arizona that was on like the, the warehouse district. It was like the garage slash warehouse slash that was converted into a church. And there I was sitting reading this account, and I believe it was the Gospel of John's version of this, and, and reading it and thinking about, you know, life and ministry and calling, you know, normal things that 15-year-olds think about. <laughs> and, and, and reading it and just thinking and having this assurance of a call of God. And, and as I look back upon that now, I kind of realize as the, you know, the older I get, just how absurd, how crazy that was and that is. Because there's not very many good reasons why I should ever be called pastor. There's not very, uh, very many good reasons why I should be the one today with the microphone yapping. Uh, there's just not. And, and really, there's only one good reason or one reason that it, it is as it is, and that's because God let me. God let me. And by his grace and the skin of my teeth, the church confirmed it, and here we are. And, and so to me, like, that, that whole thing, it just it doesn't make sense. And so as I was reading this passage to, uh, this week on John the Baptist and thinking about it, that's, that's just this one thing I just could not shake is this doesn't make sense. Specifically, like, the choice of John the Baptist doesn't make sense. Uh, see, I, I'm pretty convinced that John the Baptist would have a hard time getting through the ordination process of the Church of the Nazarene. He just doesn't seem to fit the mold. I'm, there's no mold. At least that's what they told me. Um, be good. Uh, so, I, I, I honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure if he would make it through. And, and, even, and if he did, it would be very difficult for him to get a job. Could you imagine what that interview would look like with John the Baptist? He's gathered at the, you know, the church board. Everybody's kind of surrounded, surrounding him, asking him questions. Like, so John, tell me about your thoughts on, you know, your philosophy of ministry. He's like, oh, well, I just like to go out in the woods and shout at people. Okay. Uh, well, how about, you know, what are your thoughts on things like, you know, possibilities for mission and vision and core values? He's like, Repent! That's my mission. That's my, my core value is that the kingdom of God is here and you need to repent. Like, I don't know how well that would go over. Like, so John, tell me, like, what's with this outfit you're wearing? Like, is the washing machine broken? The airlines lose your luggage? What's, what's going on? You know, in uh, pastoral ministry, uh, you know, they teach us pragmatic things sometimes. Um, 
And one of those things that I've heard a few times over my life is, you know, if you're going to be down at the altar praying with people, have a breath mint because no one wants to smell your coffee breath. And so John ate locusts and wild honey. Like, it, just, it doesn't make sense. Wow. Look at that. So, and then imagine, like, he's coming for the interview weekend, and he has to pick a sermon to preach on, and, like, this is a, a big decision because, like, it's got to be good, but you don't want to, like, upset people too much because you want them to call you back. And he gets up and he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand, you brood of vipers, and he would not be called back. It really doesn't make sense. You know, forget about hiring him. I'm not so sure many of us would like him very much either. He seems like the kind of guy who takes a lot of things, like very seriously things that we wouldn't take seriously. And it might just be tiresome to be around him for a long time. Now, there are some um, cultural, historical things, you know, I, I could add in there to make it slightly less fun for us, but like, like for example, the, the clothes he wore, the, the camel uh, hair clothes and, and his diet of bugs and honey uh, was actually the, the outfit and the diet of the very poor in the day. So it might not have seemed as strange to them as it does to us, but at the very least, it would have been an indicator that, that John the Baptist was an inferior member of the society. Doesn't make sense. Because think about the job that God gave John the Baptist. It was his job to go before the king and let people know the king was coming and to get ready. Uh, in essence, John the Baptist was the, the royal herald. That's hard for me to say. Ours sometimes give me trouble. Royal herald for Christ. And we know about Jesus. Like, we, we know now Jesus, the, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh. Like, we know, like the book of Colossians says in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, For in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is Jesus that we're talking about. And so for his royal herald, you know, for he deserved something big. Uh, he deserves something closer to, like, this video clip I, I dug up. With one voice and consent of tongue and heart, publish and proclaim that the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George is now, by the death of our late sovereign of happy memory, become our only lawful and rightful liege lord,
Charles III. God save the king! Good stuff. So I, uh, I actually cut down. It was like a 10-minute video, and that wasn't even the whole thing. Like, that's what Jesus deserved, to announce his, his coming into, you know, his ministry and, and bringing in the kingdom of God. Like, that's what Jesus deserved. And instead, he gets this guy. That... It, it really doesn't make sense. See, Christ deserved all the pomp and circumstance. Like, he deserved the old guy with the elaborate hat. And we know that that's what God deserves because the last 2,000 years, that's what Christians have been doing. We've been given old guys big hats because we know Jesus deserves that. It's, to me, that's funny. Oh, I lost track. That's, that's not on here, and so now I'm just, there's pictures. But So instead he gets John, right? He gets this guy, a poor man, shouting in the woods, eating bugs. Shouting repentance in the wilderness, preparing people for Jesus to come. And what the really crazy part of all this is, it worked. It worked. This plan that made no sense at all, it worked. How do we know it worked? We're all sitting here today. Why did people go out to see John in the first place? We could guess. And there's a lot of questions like that in the Bible that, you know, we have to guess on, and we just kind of, maybe it's this. Fortunately for this one, I don't think we have to guess. We, we have a clue. Jesus said later on in, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, he kind of explained John a little bit. And this is what Jesus says. This is in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. He says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to, into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. People went out to see John because John had something from God to say. People went, went out and they, they heard and they listened to John because John had truth to speak and, and had something to say. And uh, it wasn't about a nice presentation or, or it wasn't about his clothes or his, his appearance or any of those things. He, he simply had truth and he was more concerned with what God thought than what anybody else thought. He just wanted people to hear the truth. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. It wasn't fancy, right? He, there was no hemming and hawing between the most popular ideas of the day. He wasn't a reed swayed by the wind, it says, right? It's just a guy with a very simple and clear message. The kingdom of God is near, and you need to repent. That's it. 
So what is repentance? I could give like probably a, a fast, easy definition, uh, but I want to be more long-winded than that. I got to fill space somehow. I don't talk long. No. Uh, See, you and I, we go through life and we, we collect um, experiences and information uh, and, and these things kind of shape our life, right? And so like, you know, when you're young, you touch a hot stove, you learn that's bad, don't do that again. Someone hurts you or betrays you, you, you might begin to learn to distrust people. Like all these different things, you know, we, we kind of go through life and we collect, always are collecting information and experiences and they all kind of work together combined with our natural genetic makeup and all that sort of thing. But they, they kind of, they form this big picture of what the world is. And it informs what we do in the world. Uh, whether those, those things that we do are intentional, deliberate choices, or if they're the more unintentional things, the things later where we wonder, like, why did I do that? Why do I do the things that I do? All of these are collected into this big picture. And so, like, have you ever made a choice based on either incorrect or bad or incomplete information? We've probably all been there, and we, we think we're doing the right thing, and then we get another piece of information, we're like, oh, I would have done everything differently had I known. I, don't, I, I might go along, because I, I don't know if I've told you this Dairy Queen story before. Um, I used to work at Dairy Queen a long, long, long time ago. And we were uh, one day training uh, a girl there, you know, how to make different things. And you, you go to Dairy Queen, you get the dipped cone, right? And they take the cone, they put it in the dip. Well, before they put it in their, like, their thing, at least where I work, you had to put it on the can on the grill in order to warm it up so that the other thing that it, it's kept in can keep it in that melted state. And so we say to this girl, can you please put the cone dip on the grill, on the stove, on the you know, stovetop thing? And so she takes a big can opener, opens it up, goes over, dumps it upside down on top of the grill. And she was super embarrassed because she immediately realized that is not correct. And then she said, you're probably going to be telling everybody about this. And so I, here I am, 20 years later, <laughs> telling you all about that. Uh, and so in life, we, we have this, this big picture, right? And then every now and again, we encounter a new piece of the puzzle that, that's so big, that's so profound, that's so compelling, that we know it's gonna change everything. And so we encounter this thing and then we have to decide, we, so can we just ignore this? And just keep, you know, pretend I never heard that, pretend I never saw it, just keep living life as is? Or, or do I take that piece of information, kind of rip off the edges, compress it, kind of water it up, and cram it into the picture that I already have, make it fit as nicely as possible? Or do we take that new piece and let everything else be arranged around it. That's what repentance is. Encountering 
the good news of Christ, encountering the news of the kingdom, and saying, I gotta let everything else be arranged around that. And, and we understand that, I mean, the, the picture, the big picture that we're going off, it's a big picture, and it's going to take some time to rearrange everything. And so we understand that this repentance is a lifelong venture. It's not just one thing we did one time at summer camp. It's a lifelong pursuit, the life of repentance. So the people in John's day... They lived their life under the assumption that God was coming to save them sometime, at some point in the future. That the kingdom of God was coming eventually. And, and so they, they lived their lives according to that information, and, and they all kind of did that in different ways. It wasn't just like a one-size-fits-all sort of thing. Some people are like, you know what? In order to make this happen, we have to make sure we follow all the rules and that everybody around us follows the rules. And they got really just uptight about that. Uh, and then other people are like, well, no, we got to, you know, we're going to violently overthrow everybody. And, and so they did that. Other people, uh, they're like, well, we're going to go hide in the caves until this happens. And so they did that. But However they responded to this information, they were all working under the assumption that the kingdom of God was coming eventually. And then John shows up and says, the kingdom of God is near. It's not, well, one day it might come, it is near. And so they hear this information and it altered the way that they lived their life. They were baptized. They were confessing their sins. They were in it. And they began to live their lives as if the kingdom of God was near. And as they did that, they, they soon learned that John was right. The kingdom of God was near. And Jesus rolls into the scene. And right after this, you know, Jesus is getting baptized. And later on, uh, like in the Gospel of Luke, later on, Jesus says this, um, on being asked, this is Luke chapter 17, verse 20, on, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. See, when Jesus entered into history, when God became a man and made his dwelling among us, this whole new way of doing life, this whole new way of living was introduced into history. The kingdom of God came. The king of that kingdom was Christ. The people of that kingdom are us, the Jesus people. And... It probably didn't take them, and maybe it doesn't take us too long to begin to learn that sometimes the kingdom of God does not make any sense at all. And to be honest with you, I'm super grateful for that. I'm grateful that we have a God that specializes in the absurd and that is an expert in the ridiculousness that sometimes does not make any sense at all because if that were not true, I wouldn't be here. 
And something tells me that none of you would be here either. God established a kingdom that seems to prefer poor prophets over sharp-dressed guys and palaces. A kingdom where God is always looking for those that are more concerned about honoring God than looking kind of weird. See, nothing about the Jesus story makes any sense. Now, I know I said it's not Christmas yet, but I'll talk about some Christmas things. You know, the fact, and we talk about these things like every year because that's what we do. But the fact that Jesus was born in a manger and not in a palace doesn't make sense. The idea that, that the announcement of his birth was made to a small group of shepherds on a hillside instead of to people who mattered doesn't make sense. Now, I know the Magi came later, and they were rich guys, right? But, but they were like Gentile heathens, and they do not belong in our story. We're all Gentile heathens. Like, none of this makes sense. And he taught about loving enemies and forgiveness and sacrificial living and he embraced people that everybody else rejected, and he seemed to reject or at least keep at arm's length all those people that could benefit his career. And when they tried to make him king, he ran away, and he washed the feet of Judas. And instead of being given a throne, he chooses a cross, and his royal herald was a poor man shouting in the woods. I know we're used to this story. We've heard it and we've heard it and, and we've been transformed by it. Uh, and in some regards, I, I think even all of the earth has been transformed by this story. And so maybe it doesn't seem as strange to us as it really is, but... What we have in the story of Christ that's being kicked off today by that guy, John the Baptist, what we have is a backwards, weird, offensive story, and there's no way around it. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who are being saved in the power of God. Uh, and he would say that, that God calls, it, calls the weak fools into this story over and above those who are strong and wise because the kingdom of God is backwards and it makes no sense and it seems very, very foolish. And it's my prayer, it's my hope, it's my desire that God would help us, God would help me to live a life that doesn't make sense. A life like John out there shouting in the woods, concerned most about if his life was honoring to God more than anything that anybody else thought. That's our task. Our task essentially is the same task that John gave 
those people by the Jordan River all those years ago. Repent. Repent. Continue to let this crazy story of God change how we perceive the world and live in the world because the life of the Christian is a life of repentance. So as we're wrapping up here, to, to aid us in that, just here's some questions to consider. Are we living our life like we are simply waiting for the kingdom to come at some point, at some time? Or are we living like this kingdom which makes no sense is already here? Are we letting this make no sense kingdom change how we live our lives? As we navigate the insanity of this season and of our lives, what kingdom is informing our decisions? Materialism, greed, busyness, or the kingdom of Christ? And when people look at your life, do you look a little bit weird or a lot of bit weird? And I don't mean because you have an extensive troll doll collection. I mean the Jesus kind of weird that makes people wonder why in the world would they choose to live their life in that way? Are we more concerned with what others think about us or the church or whatever, or is our first priority simply to honor God and to share his word? How much time do we spend making sure that no one mistakes us for one of those weird Christians rather than just simply embracing the fact that weirdness is inevitable in the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is here. And even now, God is building his kingdom and he is looking for some fools to be a part of it. And so this season and with our whole lives, let's not live according to the insanity of the world, but let's live in ways that do not make sense to the people around us. Let's live like we believe that Christ, God in the flesh, has come. And that his life showed us how to live, that he died for our sins, that he's coming again, that he is king, and that he loves us. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for who you are. Lord, you're the kind of God that calls people like John the Baptist, that washes the feet of those like Judas, that exalts yourself upon a cross. Lord, help us to be that kind of person. Lord, help us to live lives that do not make sense. Lord, help us to worry only about honoring you and glorifying you, and help us to just trust you each and every day with all the decisions and the choices that we make. 
We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, would you please rise with us?
quick announcement before we close. Uh, if you've been taking part in the Resolving Everyday Conflict class, it happens downstairs right after the service. That class resumes today. Right after the service, go on down. There's lunch and childcare, and uh, Hank Dunn and the crew will be there. Two more Sundays, and that class will um, that that class will continue. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads for for prayer, shall we? Gracious Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this message this morning and for the opportunity to worship you here. Thank you for the reminders, Lord, to our lives. You, you do not choose the perfect and, and the likely candidates for all of your purposes, Lord, but sometimes very unlikely and very imperfect. And yet, how you use us, Lord, as we present our lives to you, um, it still astounds us. So, Lord, empower us to be a radiant reflection of your character. Lord, reflecting your love to a very needy world, a very dark world, Lord, that needs the light and hope and grace of God and your story. Now may the God of all hope, who fills you with all joy and peace, fill you by the power of his Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have a great week, everyone. God bless. Oh, you're great.